You guys having a good night? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, good. Um, uh, we are, uh, we're in Luke, man. So if you are joining us, if, if you're new to us, uh, we made a commitment at the beginning of, um, what was it, mid-August, Tyler, something like that, to say, man, let's just walk through um, Scripture, right? Let's just pick a, a, a book of the Bible and let's just walk through it and see what God does in our life. And so we've been tracking through Luke since mid-August, uh, and each week just, hey, man, what, what else does he have for us in this book? And so tonight we are in Luke 9. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, flip there. Um, really what we're, what we're talking about is there's nine verses here that we're covering in chapter 9. And, and where these nine verses are going is they're really answering the question, uh, which all of the Gospel of Luke is answering just in, in deeper depth, more and more and more. And we're never going to be satisfied with the answer to the question of who is Jesus and then how do you follow him? Right? And so you're going to see this theme over and over again, but that's why Luke wrote this gospel, so that we might be certain in the things that we believe and so that we might know who Jesus is and what his mission was and what his mission is for us. And so, man, tonight is about us really um, hearing his words, um, hearing Christ's words and how he calls us to follow him and what it looks like to follow him. And, and really, it's just a matter of us knowing what we're getting into. Um, while you're flipping to Luke, I want to tell you a, a quick story. This was maybe a couple years ago. My cousin got married. Um, so like awesome, excited for him. He got married in Dallas. Um, my wife and I had just had our son. Uh, my wife did most of the work on that, on that department. But I was, I was there catching. And, um, and so we, we had Charlie, Ryan, Fuquay. And um, awesome thing. And so, and so she stayed home with Charlie because he was just a few weeks old. And so I drove to Dallas uh, to support my cousin who was getting married. And when I walked up to the church where um, it was actually like a big outdoor pavilion, right? This like Christian pavilion outside. When I walked up to it, uh, my, another cousin greeted me, uh, you know, like out, outside and was handing out programs. And he saw me and I think the wedding started like 3 o'clock. And I walked up, you know, maybe like 2.59 because I'm a good Christian and I showed up a, a little bit early. And so I, I'm walking in at 2.59 and no joke, man, it's a true story. My cousin goes, hey man, you, you know you're you know you're preaching at this wedding. And I was like, what? Ah, guy's joking me, man. Stop. He's like, no, man, seriously. And I looked down at the wedding program, right? And I see my name, right? So it's like, oh, the procession where the bride and the giving of the bride. And then it says Ben Fuquay. And I'm like, what? Why is my name in the program? Right? I'm dressed like, I mean, I had a dress shirt on, but no tie or suit. Like, I went to a wedding, and at 2.59, found out I was preaching at the wedding that I had just walked up to. How messed up is that? Right? Like, I know that, like, public speaking isn't a big deal for me, right? But I get that, like, it's apparently worse than, like, spiders or whatever. It's like a top fear, you know? There's ISIS and spiders, and then there's preaching in public, or, like, public speaking, right, is right up there. Um, and... Uh, and yet, that's the situation, right? Big miscommunication um, where I had said, hey, man, I can't preach at your wedding and because I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to make it because I wasn't sure you know, about Charlie's arrival time. He's not the most you know, prompt kid. And so, uh, so I was like, I don't know. My wife's going to have a baby. And what he heard was, I will definitely preach at your wedding. Um, so I winged it, man, and it was awful. Um, here's, here's why I say that. Right? Here, here's why I tell that horror story. Um, I tell that because really what this is about and where we're going is just knowing what we're getting into, right? For us as believers, right? For those in this room who would say, man, I'm a believer. I want to follow Christ. I want my life to look like him. I, I want to do it his way. 
man, what are we really getting into? And that we show up one day at the edge of eternity and we walk up to that, whatever that is, whatever that is going to look like in our, in our lives, in our stepping into eternity, and we realize, okay, I knew what I signed up for in this. I knew what this was supposed to look like. I don't stand before a God who says, hey, I don't know who you are. Hey, I thought we, I, put, I gave you my word, but you didn't apply it. You didn't listen to it. You didn't heed it. You didn't do it. You just heard and didn't do. What are we getting into? And this nine verses that I get to preach tonight, um, I think are maybe the most explicit nine verses in the entire gospel of Luke that sum up who Jesus is and then really what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Him telling his disciples, here is the bar. Here is what I'm calling you to do. Here's who I am and how you follow me. Um, so here's the scene. We're going to be in verse 18. And uh, we're going to take this in a few little, few little bite sizes. Um, and we're just going to read 18 through 20. It's going to be up on the screen also. Uh, if you want to grab a Bible underneath your seat, uh, feel free to do that as well. Verse 18, chapter 9. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and asked him, Who did the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old, has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Um, Here we have Jesus asking, right? So so you picture the scene. He he turns to his guys, these people who have given up their lives to follow him. They've left their tax booth and they've left their their fishing companies and they've left their families and they're following Jesus with their life now. And he says, hey guys, um, what's the rumor mill? Like, Who do people say that I am? And they're like, man, some people say you're like John the Baptist, like his spirit in you. And other people say you're one of the Old Testament prophets, right, from back in the day. Maybe come back to prophesy some more and um, oh, they're all over the place. And he says, who do you say that I am? These people who have surrendered their lives, who do you say that I am? And Peter, right, the guy who's slow to speak and jumps on everything and chops off people's ears later, this guy, this joker says, you are the Christ of God. Uh, that's, that's my translation. Some of you might have a Bible that says you are the Messiah of God. Uh, for the longest time, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. I really did. I thought, man, Jesus Christ, right? That's his name, like Jesus, you know, David Christ. All right, he's got like a middle name in there somewhere. Christ was his title. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, his title was he was the Christ. He is the Messiah is, a, is another way to say it. He is the Savior. And so what they're professing here, what Peter is professing with his lips and praising God for and saying and declaring in front of all his friends and claiming, he's saying, you are the Savior that we have been waiting for. Could you imagine that? The Jewish faith up to this point, the Old Testament, everything in their faith was still looking forward in faith. Their salvation was still granted by grace through faith, just like ours is, because they were awaiting one day our God will send a Savior. And he will rescue us from our enemy. He will bring salvation. He will bring healing. And and he will be the true right reigning king. And so their whole history, their whole history was leading up and waiting and looking for this Messiah and looking for this Christ. And now here Peter says, you're that guy. It is the first time in Luke that we see the disciples proclaim uh, and recognize Jesus as the Christ. It's a turning point in the book, honestly. From here on out, we're going to see a, a quick pathway towards the cross that we know is coming. Um, but this is a turning point, and he recognizes and says, you are the Christ. However, 
Um, he's confessed as Savior, right? Even still, there is this expectation, though, of who Jesus is that's wrong with the disciples. They still, Peter says, yeah, man, you're, you're the one. And yet, he still has a misconception of what that Christ is going to do. We see the confusion right off the bat. Look at the next couple of verses, verse 21 and 22. And he strictly charged them, Jesus, he, he turns around, he strictly charges them and commands them to not tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Why does Jesus do that here? Why does Jesus, after he's just been labeled the Christ by Peter and all those guys are like, yeah, yeah, man, Peter's probably right on that one. Yeah, I agree if that's the right answer. And he says, don't tell anyone. Jesus recognizes in the disciples, and we're going to see it as we unpack the rest of this verse. Jesus recognizes that when Peter calls him the Christ, there is a misunderstanding, not only in the disciples, but in the Jewish community of what that Christ is here to do. And so he right away says, hey, guys, don't tell anyone because your expectation of what you think I'm going to do, who you think I, what you think me as the Messiah is going to do, is free you from Rome. But he admits, I'm actually on my way to the cross, and I've got to suffer, and I've got to die. And then he goes ahead and gives them the right answer and says, but by the way, on the third day, I'm going to be resurrected. The, the Son of Man must suffer these things. And so he recognizes that there's a misconception, right? In a Matthew 16, we see the same interaction, right? Matthew, also a gospel writer, he records the same thing. And he goes into a little bit of elaboration of after Jesus tells him, hey guys, keep it on the down low, uh, Peter says, you, no way, man, you would never get killed, huh? No, wouldn't, wouldn't let it happen, that's, you know, cut it out, Jesus, stop saying negative stuff like that, you're going to be fine, you're the man, you're going to overtake Rome, you know, it, this is good, and that's when Jesus calls out Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, right? It, it's this confrontation that Jesus is, is aware that his followers, um, we might call him Christ, we might say, yeah, you're the one. You're, man, you're our savior. You're our hope. But how the entitlement and the expectation that comes along with that sometimes is actually really messed up. Uh, John the Baptist is even confused about, so who is Jesus really? Is it, is it time? Think about it. The Jewish people have been uh, under martial law, right? Their country is not their own. The Romans have overtaken it. And here, everyone thinks this is the guy who's going to go in there and he's going to throw down a smackdown on Caesar. And finally, we're going to be free of Rome and he's going to wipe them out. He's going to shoot laser beams out of his eyes and he's going to destroy the Roman army and he's going to set up an earthly throne right now, and I'm going to get like a province over here, and John's going to get this place, and James is going to get this little mountain villa, and man, this is it. This is it. And he's saying, no, no. Your expectations of what I'm here to do are wrong. They had a faulty view of who Jesus really was. They called him the Christ, but they had a faulty view of what that really means. Man, does that sound familiar to your life? Does that sound familiar to your life? Um, maybe some of you are like, no, no, I, I got this, right? I'm praying that the Holy Spirit penetrates your life tonight and reveals, man, I've got misconceptions about who I think Jesus is and the box I want to put his Messiahship in that, man, that isn't, that isn't, that's my own entitlements, not from him. Um, for so many of us, man, if I just speak for myself, uh, a lot of who, what I want from Jesus um, is my own, 
my own faulty expectations. Let me unpack some of this. Uh, maybe you're still here, right? And you're sitting in this place week after week. Maybe you come to Renovate or you come to church here or, or, and you come to these worship experiences and you are expecting Jesus to man, be this fix for you, to meet this immediate, uh, maybe this immediate kind of gratification, this immediate need that, that man, okay, I'm here. I'm, I'm checking the box, Jesus. So now it's your turn to, to do this thing. Uh, in my life. And, and we have this entitlement that uh, sneaks up. Maybe we think um, a misconception of what Jesus' messiahship and our submission to that looks like is, hey, you're the Christ, man. I'm going to follow you. And in doing so, I'm going to get an awesome wife one day. I'm going to get an awesome husband one day. And, and it becomes a quid pro quo kind of deal. Man, in following you, Jesus, I follow, you're the Christ, but then we have this expectation of, oh, but I'm going to get this great job, right? I mean, I'm doing everything right, Jesus. I'm doing the Jesus thing. I'm calling you Lord. I'm calling you Christ so that there should be this immediate freedom, right? Just like the disciples were like, yeah, you're the Christ. You're going to set us free from Rome. We're not going to have to pay taxes. We're going to be like chief rulers of this country. In our own life, that happens all the time in my wicked soul. That I take Jesus, who is the Christ, and we're going to unpack what that really looks like, but my misconceptions and perversions are, you're the Christ, so, so give me what I want. You're the Christ, so meet, meet my needs. You're the Christ who revolves around my world. And here, in chapter 9 of Luke, we see there's no room for that. We see there's no room for for that kind of selfish uh, expectation that I might put on. Man, maybe it's, um, man, I, I've got so many uh, friends, people I love who are, are struggling to have, to have kids. And it's like, but God, what? I didn't sign up for this, right? And there was this misconception that like, I, I'm a Christian, I do the right thing. Why are you not giving us kids? What did we do wrong? I thought that was part of the deal. I thought I wouldn't still be single at 30. What's going on? This isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. I've been doing the right thing. I'm in the right place. I, this entitlement, right? The comfort. Like, okay, God, I'm doing the right... I need this comfort, man. I'm living an uncomfortable life. This job stinks. This lifestyle right now stinks. I need you to... We make God revolve around our circumstances. Jesus is not the Messiah of the quick fix in your life. Jesus is not the Messiah to make things more comfortable for us. That's not the Savior that he is. But make no mistake, make no mistake, listen to me. In him there is life. And in him there is life abundantly. And in Jesus Christ, the Savior, there is life and freedom like none other. Like no other place that it exists. And the only door for that. But man, I've got to stop myself on a night like this and say, man, what are the, what are the mistaken things that I think I'm actually going to get from Christ? Uh, John Piper, who's a Christian stud, pastor, uh, theologian, um, one, of, one of his big things, uh, one of his big things that he says all the time is, uh, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Right? He's got a lot of different variations on that. Um, it's this idea that uh, actually when our life revolves around him and he is the center of our world and not just, uh, not just the king that we're going to pay homage to and give credit for, but he's going to have to give us these things in return. But instead, when we shift our priorities and our heart and our desire under him, um, 
He's glorified and we are most satisfied in that place. Um, Okay, how do we follow him? Look at this. This is where we're going to get a lot of clarity on this. Verse 23. He gives them instructions now that really paint the picture of, okay, fine, maybe he's not this, um, maybe we have some entitlements here. What is he really calling us to do? Uh, these, uh, These verses are some of my favorite, but some of the most convicting in my life. This is what Jesus Christ says to his disciples. Verse 23. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Man, um, here they thought, uh, here these disciples thought, man, Jesus is, Jesus is the one, right? And I'm going to profess him, and I'm going to get this great blessed life. Uh, and instead, what does he say? He says, not only am I not here to overthrow Rome right now, make no mistake, he is coming, he will return. Our Jesus will return and he will set up an earthly kingdom and it will be glorious. But the misconception at the time was you're here to do that now, right? Not only are they not going to get their own little provinces, but he's saying what it looks like to follow me is to come and die. Jesus is saying, come and die. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And the symbolism of what that cross meant did not get lost on this community of people who were very aware with the cross and the crucifixion, what that looked like, pick up your cross and follow me. Not only are they not getting all this great stuff, that they're being asked that kind of um, sacrifice to follow Jesus Christ. Man, this flies in the face of, um, some of you guys have heard it talked about, or maybe this is a, a term you know, the idea of the prosperity gospel. Um, churches in our world, uh, people who would profess to preach the Bible, and they would say, man, just do these things, and then God's going to bless you. You know, uh, send me $10, and I'm going to give you a prayer cloth. Or, you know, just show up, and it's this feel-good, follow Jesus, show up to church, punch the card, do your little devotional, tithe, pay your money, and then God is going to bless you beyond belief. He's going to give you a great house and a jet one day and a mansion. You just need to keep following him. And all of these comforts and immediate gratification, that's a lie. That's not in here. That's not what Jesus calls him. I love this church. I love the generosity behind the people who go to this church. Um, And I love the fact that we say, no, we're going to preach what's in the word of God. And we're not going to preach what's, honestly, man, it'd be way easier, right? Like, Tyler, we should at least investigate, like, maybe one week, just, hey, guys, just come a lot and make us look good, and then you'll get lots of stuff. It's just not in here. That's not what Christ calls us to do. That's not how he says it works. Follow me, and you're going to have this great, comfortable life. He says, if you want to follow me, come and deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Um, Man, why, why would we preach that? Like, if I can just go on a rabbit trail, right? Like, why would a church choose to preach that? How unpopular. Because that's what's written. Because that's what's written. And we want to be a people 
who don't make this stuff up as we go along, who don't say, oh man, this is how we're feeling. We want to be a people that say, we're going to stay rooted in this thing and we're going to base our life on the truth in here and we're going to unpack it every week and we're going to get back to it and we're going to go to it in the week and we're going to build our small group community around studying this thing because it's what's written and because, listen to me, and because it's worth it. Because, because it's worth it. Because the idea of coming and denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following him, because we believe those who are in Christ in this room have experienced what that looks like, have gone through hard times and tribulation, maybe even levels of persecution that man, we can't even compare with our brothers in other sides of the world, but Maybe we felt some persecution or some financial squeeze because of decisions of what it looked like to follow Christ. And man, we would raise our hands in worship. And we would say, God, that is a life worth living. And I would profess to you as a humble, broken pastor, right, who doesn't have my life together and haven't arrived, but I would profess to you as a brother, it is worth it. That's why we preach it. Um, Here's, here's where I want to land the plane tonight. We've got about uh, 10 minutes or so, but I, I want to land the plane on this. Um, I'm, I'm aware of the idea uh, for us of what I need and what I want is, um, man, I want to show up and I want to hear the Word of God and I want to you know, meet with the Lord in the morning or go to Starbucks and open up my Bible, Instagram it, and then like, really start digging in. Um, I, I, I want to... Uh, I want conviction, right? I want the Lord to reveal in me, right? Conviction, uh, for those of you guys who that word's fresh for, um, this idea that the Lord would show me some blind spots. Man, Lord, show me some areas that, man, I'm not walking in, in this way. Show me something. Give me something new. Poke me. Stir me up. Reset a bone that maybe is broken, and I don't even know it, and it hurts, but, man, it feels good because I know it's right, um, and I've been praying for you guys a lot in my preparation for that, that the Lord would convict us because it's been really convicting for me to read these nine verses over and over and over again this past week and studying for this and realizing, man, do I do this? And so I thought all these different ways. It's like, man, I want to convict him in this and we'll tie and then we'll get the band up here and they'll play this song and then we'll like put tear gas in the room and you guys will start weeping. And, um, instead, here's what I want to do. I want to read this chunk of scripture. It might be weird to some of you guys. Um, but we're just going to let the scripture do what the scripture does. I'm just going to read these four verses uh, over you guys a couple times. Um, and I want us to be asking the Lord, um, convict us. Show us how we're not doing this. For the self-righteous in this room, who I would put myself in that camp 99% of the time, um, men who think, yeah, yeah, this is a great message for the person who doesn't, hasn't put their faith in Christ. Oh man, for, for everyone in this room, Lord, how am I not denying myself? How, what do I need to do to look more like you? Verse 23, and he said to all, Jesus Christ said to all in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does taking up your cross look like? Holy Spirit, convict us. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will lose it. 
What are the things that I'm trying to hold on to? What are the things that I say, no, no, this is what I need to build. This is how my empire, this is how my kingdom builds. I'm building my own life. What is that that I say, no, no, I'm not willing to lose this to the Lord. I'm not willing to love the Lord more than I love this. For what does it profit me? What does it profit you if we gain the whole world and lose or forfeit ourselves? How scary. At the end of our life, we built our own kingdom. And it's just dust and ash. And then verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Our God is coming back. Our Jesus is returning. He's returning to judge. He's returning to separate who are his followers and who are not. Who has put their faith in Christ and who hasn't. He's coming to judge and to separate and to reign once and for all and for eternity. Practically, throw out some suggestions, man. If there's sexual immorality in your life, if there's sexual immorality of any kind in your life, whether it's pornography or you're struggling in a physical relationship with boundaries or whatever that looks like, I think, I think that's a real obvious one that the Lord's going to bring to the surface to say, you're not denying yourself. You show up week after week and you say, yes, you're the Christ, but I'm, I'm saying, Jesus is saying, deny yourself. This is immediate gratification. It's, I, I want to do this the way I want to do it. I want to do this relationship, these boundaries. I want, to, I want to meet my needs the way I want to meet them in my timing. I want to be my own God is what we're saying. And Jesus says, no, man, that's not what it looks like to follow me. Um, man, this is, this is goofy, right? I'm not being funny. Maybe it's Pinterest, right? Maybe it's Pinterest. I don't know. I don't have Pinterest, right? Because it's girl porn and it's crazy, right? But honestly, maybe there's an envy in your heart, right? I'm just throwing this out there. Let the Holy Spirit do business. This isn't me. Let the Holy Spirit take this for what it's worth, right? I talked to my wife about what she wrestles with and, and patterns she sees in her life and in our community. And maybe it's this idea that, man, you got a board, and it's this expectation. It's this entitlement. Man, one day I'm going to have this. Right? And i got all these things pinned to it. And this is what our house is going to look like. And this is what my man is going to look like. Right? And I, this is what my wedding dress is going to look like. And I'm not, it's not bad to plan ahead. That's not a sin. Right? Pinterest isn't evil. Right? Although I would love, I love to make it out to be that way. Pinterest isn't evil. But maybe, maybe what I love is I have a love that trumps Jesus. I have an entitlement. I have an envy that I am fueling through some... Fun, great, picture, planning, website. I don't even know what it, the thing is. I don't know how it works exactly. but um, Maybe I've got this envy. And I've got this whole idol. I've got this whole idol lifestyle that I say, man, this is what I want. And Jesus says, really? Because what I'm calling you to is a life of self-denial. Of dying to yourself, picking up your cross and following me. And that house and that like bro with the eight-pack abs, like that bro isn't there in that. You know, and by bro, I mean husband for you ladies, not bro, that'd be weird. Um, <laughs> just immediate gratification in your life. Now, what is it that the Lord's saying, hey, you, you run on immediate gratification. It's so convicting for me in so many things, man. I just want immediate fixes. I want to be my own God. I want to fuel my... Maybe it's money. Money isn't evil, Right? 
but maybe if I love it more, maybe it's ambition. I had a conversation with a buddy of mine uh, about a week ago, just kind of briefly over text message about, is ambition evil? Ambition's not evil, but if I'm loving, oh man, if I can just work my way up this ladder and I can be my own king, if I'm loving that, if I'm trying to find my life there and I'm not willing to surrender and say, Lord, I'm open, you bless what you would bless, then yeah, that becomes an idol. Our lives are not our own. We were those who are in Christ in this room were bought at a price, an incredible, incredible, incredible price of Jesus Christ's death on a cross. Our lives are not our own. They were bought at a price. Man, I'm sorry if you haven't heard that. I'm sorry if you grew up um, in Christianity or you've been around and you, you thought you heard what Jesus was calling us to do. And you're like, yeah, he's calling us to go to church, right? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, he's calling us to like, be a good person. And tonight you're hearing, oh, wait, no, Jesus isn't. That's not, what he, that's not how he leads this conversation. He's calling us to come and die and surrender our life and to make our life not about ourselves. And he's this supplement, but instead about him. And our lives revolve around him. And man, I'm sorry if this is the first time you've heard that. Because I think the gospel has been hijacked by our culture and, and by people who aren't preaching it. And, and also, man, I'm sorry if you've heard that. If you've heard this idea over and over and over again, you've heard me say it, you've heard Tyler say it, you, yeah, yeah, man, this, this is a life that I'm supposed to pick up my cross and follow him. I'm sorry if you've heard that and your life is unchanged by it. I'm sorry if you've heard these verses and you're in this room and your life is still unchanged by it. And you think, man, this is a great message for like a new believer or a young believer or a non-believer. And your life is unchanged by denying yourself. Holy Spirit, what does that look like for you? Beg the Lord tonight to show, show you. I see your word, Father. I see this is what you call us to look. This is what following you looks like. Lord, how do I need to deny myself? What are those things in my life that I need to let go of and surrender to you because it is written and because it is worth it. Because it is worth it. How do I follow you with more fervor and excitement? And how do I find my life in losing it from all the exhausting things that I've been trying my whole life? Man, would we be changed by that? Would that never grow stale? Would that never be something that we compartmentalize like, yeah, yeah, that's JV? Would that always be something? that the most profound believer in the room would grab hold of and say, may I deny myself more and more and more and more. And man, that can be paralyzing. That can be a paralyzing thing to leave here and then to realize in this verse, what does he say? He says, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. So real practically, let me encourage you. When you hear a message like this from Jesus, right? Jesus' words, and it's like, oh man, that seems hard. Yeah, but how does he call you to do it daily? Which means you don't think, oh man, for the next 50 years, really? I got to give this? I got to serve. It says, man, tonight, what is he calling you to walk in obedience tonight and then tomorrow morning waking up and saying, this is now your day? God works in this incredible way in using days. He, he tells us in, um, when he teaches us how to pray, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, give us our bread, our daily bread. In, in the desert, uh, in the Old Testament, the Israelites are lost out there and they get manna every single day. Like they get this fresh bread given to them. And it never lasts the next day. It's only enough for that day. 
are God's grace, practically, how we walk this out in our life, is we daily be people who beg, Lord, how can I look more like you? How can I be dead and lay on the altar and you be alive in me and you be my force and you be my hope and my love? And how do... And you say, just today, what does that look like? And then Tuesday, worry about Tuesday. And then when Tuesday morning comes, you say, Lord, I want to read what it looks like to follow you today and it hasn't changed. Lord, how today can I deny myself and follow you? And then Wednesday, Lord, how can I deny myself and follow you? You put yourself in a community of people who remind you of what's important and remind you where real life is and remind you what truth is. You put yourself in a church that's preaching what he says and not what feels good. Um, man, have I told you guys tonight how much he loves you? Um, the God of the universe. He sent his son to, to pay our debt, right? My debt, right? This jacked up young adult pastor at Christ Chapel who is mistake prone and, and irresponsible in ways and has a lot of growing and maturity to do. He paid for my debt. And so now I get to worship and walk in the freedom and the life that is not trying to do this thing on my own, but laying down my life and saying, this thing I can't do on my own, you've got to take it, and giving up surrender. Brothers, this God loves you. He loves you to the point of his son on a cross. And, and sisters, this God of the universe loves you. And his burden is light. His yoke is easy. I know that's such a counterintuitive, but wait, I'm supposed to die and I'm supposed to give up my... And yet, the burden that we get to carry, his cross, is actually the most life-giving thing you can do. I hope that encourages you and I hope it challenges you because of what he says in here, what it looks like to follow him. Let me pray over you. Father, um, thank you, God. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for being a God who, um, thank you for being a God who doesn't just let us squirm and try to figure it out on our own. Thank you for being a God who is active and, and uh, given us your word. Uh, which is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it slices through us tonight. Lord, would you, uh, would you convict us? God, bring conviction to my life so I might look more like you, so that I might choose the things of you rather than the world. Show me the things that I say, no, this is mine, I'm holding on to it. Give me a life everlasting following after you. We praise you, we worship you, we thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ on our lives, that we might be able to call you our Father. In his name we pray. Amen.